This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I'm going to read for you, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can read along with me. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, please follow on the screens behind us. Uh, and, and if you're taking notes, take down notes as well. Uh, you'll have some good notes for today. Ephesians chapter 1, 2 to 8. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you take this word and, and help me to explain this, Lord? Speak through me today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will give us understanding and you will open our eyes and you will, uh, you will offer us insight, God. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the best words to describe Christianity or what it means to be a Christian is in that one word called grace. Uh, last week, we kind of started on the subject of grace, but we didn't have time to finish off the message. So what I want to do is I want to just finish off where we started last Sunday. Uh, we talked about grace and God's greatest gift, and we've been unpacking this gift, so to speak. Uh, and today, we are wrapping up this series on the greatest gift, no pun intended, but we're wrapping up this series because of how, uh, and, and, and the series has been so powerful because of how uh, important this message of the greatest gift has been, right? This, 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 this package that we have uh, called Jesus that oftentimes is the only gift that goes unopened in this whole season of Christmas, right? And the only thing that we can remind ourselves of are the things that really matter to the season of Advent as to why the Advent even happened, and to remind ourselves that in, 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 the, in between the first advent and the second advent, the last advent, where Jesus is coming back for his church, where Jesus is coming back for his bride, for you and for me, God gives us this period of time where he entrusts us with the responsibility of communicating this advent message with the people around us. 
You know, the other day I was, I was you know, just talking to a few people, uh, a couple of people actually, and, and one of the people involved in the conversation was, you know, in a, in a search for his faith, uh, kind of going uh, in, a, in a direction where he was uh, uh, kind of dissecting his faith of sorts and uh, trying to figure out what he believed in and, uh, and, and if he believed in was true, so on and so forth. And uh, in the middle of all of that, there was, a, there was another, another friend of his that was a Buddhist that was also there. Uh, he, he grew up Buddhist and, uh, you know, followed the religion very closely. And in all our conversations, we were having some meaningful conversations as to why Christianity and, and why Christ. And, and one of the things that, that the, the questions that came up was, why, why, why is the message of Christianity, why is the message of Christ uh, different? And how is it different? And how does it stand out from the rest of the messages that it can be, uh, you know, just compared with? Uh, and, you know, me and my classic uh, fumbled uh, words, I, I started like rambling, I started like, uh, it just caught me off guard, and no matter how, how much of a pastor you are, and no matter how long of a Christian you've been, or no matter how long, you know, you've, you've, you've you know, learned apologetics, or you know the word, or you know what answers to give, or it, it just always stumps you when you're put on the spot. And it was one of those moments where I started rambling about Jesus, and about Jesus' love, and I'm like, you know, I'm just making up stuff and, you know, not, not making up stuff, but stuff in the Bible, but not really hitting the, 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 you know, the nail on its head. And suddenly a friend of mine jumped in and he said, grace. He said, grace. And I said, yep, grace. That, that's it. The, the word that could, that, that, that could come to my mind, uh, that could explain Christianity at its best as to why Christ stands out more than anything else or any other message or any other religion that, that anybody can ever follow is this word grace. It's not moralism. It's not right or wrong. It's not, uh, it, you know, this, this message of, of, of Christ is not just for good people. Uh, it's grace. It's more grace. Uh, the, and the more we understand it, the more we can uh, understand the beautiful uh, sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. We talked about what grace is. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited. It's the unearned. It's the undeserved favor of God. It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. In Romans chapter number 6 and verse 23, the Bible says this, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It says the wages of sin are death. Someone say the wages of sin, wages of sin. is death. It's simple, right? A lot of us have jobs here. Right? Some of us looking for jobs. Some of us probably in transitions. You probably just graduated and, and you're looking for a job. Uh, you have a job. And if you have a job, you earn a wage. At least I hope you do. Right? We, we earn wages for the work that we do. Uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You earn death through sin. It's the only way that the Christian can, can face eternal death. That, that, that you will not spend your eternity with Christ and that's through sin and living in sin and when you don't come out of sin through the blood of Jesus. But the Bible says, but the gift of God is life. See, you can't earn life. There's no wages for life. It's a gift from God. 
It's a gift that God so beautifully gives the people that accept that gift. And sadly, it's probably the gift that not a lot of people open. It's the gift that's ignored the most. It's the gift that's put away. It's still wrapped Christmas after Christmas. It just stays with a pretty old bow. Nobody wants to open it. See, many people's idea of eternal life is skewed because they stopped listening in Sunday school when the teachers said the wages of sin are death. Because the moment you say that, they automatically assume the opposite is true about life. But here's what I want to talk to people about today. People think that, you know, you'll go to heaven if you did more good. Or I think that I can go to hell if I did more bad. Right? It's, it's, it's just one of those things where if I do good, I go to, I go to heaven. Or if, I do, or if I do more good than if I do bad, I go to heaven. And if I do, uh, you, you get what I'm saying, right? So Christians go about living their life trying to go about doing less bad rather than living in the gift of free life. Like this, this free gift of life that the Bible talks to us about. Instead of tapping into that and instead of living in that freedom, people will go about trying to live their best life. And the Bible reminds us. It's not by your merit. It's not by your power. It's not by your strength. It's not because of anything you or I have ever done or will ever do. Grace is free and you and I experience life in Jesus Christ because you and I know Jesus and his love is unmatched. It's undeserved. It's, it's something that we didn't pay for. It's something that was given to us for free. And a lot of people, because they live in this ideology, they go to bed wondering, man, did I do enough today? Did I, did, did I measure up today? Did I do everything? Did I check all the boxes today? Did I live my life the way I needed to live my life? And for some of us, we go to bed so guilty and you're like, Lord, just in case I didn't measure up, I'm so sorry, Lord. You know, in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, this, what is the gospel? I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to go to bed ashamed every night. I don't have to go to bed guilty every night because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, and I need us to understand this. This gift of grace that we talk about is this beautiful world word called the gospel. What is the meaning of the word gospel? It means good news. That's what it means. It means good news. As soon as a baby is born, you make an announcement on Facebook, weighing how many pounds? Give me a number. Seven pounds, nine ounces. All right, baby Judah was born on such and such a date. Now that is the gospel of Judah. All right, the good news that Judah was born. Gospel simply means good news. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's simply this, that God became a man and he came to earth to live a sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose up and he offers us the free gift of salvation. That is his grace. And the gospel is that our response should be believing that what Jesus did is enough. I don't need to do anything more. It's not by my merit. It's not because of anything I should do. It's nothing. Our response is surrendering our lives to his lordship. That's all there is. Grace is God's love in action. 
That's what grace is. He doesn't love us because he has to, church. See, we have a messed up view of love because of how we've been taught about love. All right, can I break this down to us, for, for us today? See, as a good Christian, it's like, I know that I have to like him, but I really don't. But I'm like, what would Jesus do? Or I, I, I find my, my dad saying, I know you don't like him, Ashish, but what would Jesus do? Love him. I guess. I'll love him. Or it's, what would Jesus do? WWJD, right? We have this messed up, this skewed view, right? My bad, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I guess I'll be nice. My youth group, we had this, uh, uh, we had this thing that we said. All right, this, I don't know what it was. I still don't remember what it was. It was like a slogan of sorts. Every time you want to be rude, lift your hand and ask yourself, what do you think you're doing, dude? Don't ask me. We had the WWJD band on, and so we had to like literally say that. Lift your hand and ask yourself, what do you think you're doing, dude? WWJD. Because that was the idea. Like if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, like just look at the band and that band will tell you that you need to act like Jesus. See, we've been taught that you have to love even if you don't like them. Hey, I know, I know you, don't, you, don't, you don't like them, but you gotta love them because that's what Jesus does. That's what church has been teaching us. You gotta love them because God loves you. And if God loves you, why don't you love them? This skewed understanding of love. You know, I guess I gotta love him. Like, I can't stand him, but I guess I love for Jesus. See, because sometimes that's how we see God. Unfortunately, that's how we see, you know, we see God as this person that looks at us and says, you're a mess, but I guess I love you. You sinned yesterday, but I guess I love you. I'll do it. I wrote the book on love, so I guess... I guess I can't be a hypocrite. I love you. See, that's the view of God that we have. You know, God doesn't love us because he has to. He loves us because of who he is. He is love. He is grace. And he doesn't love based on what you've done or what you will do. His love language is love. This, 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 it's not a because of love. And I've, I've said this so many times before. It's a, you know, regardless of what you do. It's a, nonetheless, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past or what you will do in the future. Grace is love in action. Grace is God's yes to you. Grace is God looking at you and saying, I am all of you and you are all of me. I, you belong to me and I belong to you. That's what love is. That's what grace is. You'll understand this a lot more when you're a father or you're a mother. I became, thank you, baby. That's my daughter saying amen. None of y'all are saying amen. So she's like, I'm support my dad. You know, I, I, I understood this when, when, my first, when my firstborn came along. It was a little less than six years ago. Uh, we, were, we were just so anxiously waiting for it. We'd never had a baby before. So Sonia and I, we were so excited. We were, we were so, and, and she comes crying. Michaela was born. She's right here. Stand up. Let everyone see you. Turn around. Turn around. Say hi. <laughs> She never sits in service. This is her first time in service, so I thought I'd just embarrass her. There you go. I talk about her so much, but 
uh, Michaela was born, and uh, we, we, were, we were just so delighted. We were so excited. You know, this is something that we've been waiting for. But once I became a dad, man, yes has become a part of my everyday vocabulary. All right? Just especially being a girl dad. I have two girls, another girl on the way. Okay? So yes is automatically a part of your vocabulary, right? Je- Jeff, you know what I'm talking about. You have Abby, right? They have those little beady eyes that, you know, they come to you and they, they, they say, Daddy, can I have candy? And they follow up with some, some wings. You know, they, they bat their eyelids and, you know, it's one of those, please, you know, you, you can't help but say yes. It just, it just came naturally. That grace, that love, as soon as I saw her, it was a, it was a yes. It wasn't a, oh, I guess I got to take care of her now. It was more of like a natural dad, you know, feeling that, that just kicked in and said, no, this is, it's a yes moment. Like from now on, it's a yes. You want my wallet? Here you go, Mickey. Go. You're five years old? Take it. Go. You want my credit card? Go. It's a, I won't do that, but I'm just, you, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're a dad, it's a, it's a yes moment for everything because that's who you are. See, the, the, uh, it's, it's beautiful. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says, talks about grace this way. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indif- indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to heal. No matter how much we rebel, no matter how much we run away, God's grace is more of a, it's, it's, it's this overarching love that stands around you and says, it doesn't matter what you do or what you've done. Man, grace is this, this dimension, this hand of God that stands around you and says, no matter how much you defer from me, no matter how much you run away from me, no matter how much you don't agree with what I have to do, it's this inexhaustible capacity to forgive, to bless to love, to press his love on you and impress his love on your life. Ephesians chapter one and verse two says that may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Man, he can't, he can't give up on you. That's, that's the grace because and the more you understand grace, the more you'll understand this beautiful gift that God has given us. The greatest gift of Jesus Christ. Grace is what enables me to excel. Grace is what gives me the ability to, at the end of the, end of the night, before going to sleep, to let out that last breath saying, all right, God's got this. You know what Satan's lie is? I have to make sure that I live a decent life. There's something that I have to do. I have to do this, I have to do that. As long as I can live a decent way, I can measure up a certain way as long as I can do this and this and this. I don't need to be a great person. I don't need to be, and I'm not Jesus, right? I, I'm, not, I'm never gonna be Jesus. I can be a decent person. I can be a good person. Like how many of you all say, I'm a, I'm a good person, right? There are a bunch of people over here that be like, I'm a good person. See, if salvation was up to me, I would never have peace. If, if, if it was up to me, was I, was I good enough today? Was I good enough yesterday? Absolutely not. I want to think that I'm good enough. I want to think that I'm good. I'm, I want to think that I'm okay. I know some of y'all are really good. I know you're pretty good. But that was never a requirement. Like God never gave that to us as a requirement. 
God was like, I am more than sufficient for you. Everything okay? I'm like, Jesus, come back. Everyone's pretty good. Everyone's okay. Everyone's up to the mark. Right? Till we look at the true meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ. If pretty good was all it took, we didn't need Christmas, man. We don't need the cross. We didn't need Jesus at all. If pretty good was all it took, we would be up here singing praises to you and me and each one of us that are pretty good, not to Jesus. Pretty good isn't worthy of worship or it's, an, it's not worthy of praise. Pretty good isn't worthy of singing Jaira, he is enough or it's, it's not enough. Pretty good is, is not enough for, for us to come to a church every Sunday and sing because he lives, I can face tomorrow. If you were pretty good and if you were well off and you were okay by yourself, you didn't have to come to church every Sunday saying, Jesus, I need you or Christ be magnified or my chains are gone and I've been set free. We don't need to come to church and sing champion or we don't need to say good, good father or we don't need to sing goodness of God. When we sing each one of these things, we're looking at God and saying, God, it's, I'm never going to be good enough. And that was never a requirement, God. The only thing that guarantees eternal life, the only thing that guarantees life with you and is this grace, the grace of God, the unmerited grace of God that reminds me that it's not because of what I've done or what I'm going to do or if I fall short or not. It's because of only what you have done on the cross of Calvary. Because if we had to save ourselves, Christ didn't have to die. I don't have to go to sleep at night asking myself if I've done good enough. If I've done enough to, you know, for my kids, for my family, for my church, for the people that I, I pray for, the people that I support, the people that I stand around. Back in the day, back in the, back in the, the, the Old Testament times, they lived in the sacrificial system where they were forgiven once a year, right? Forgiven once a year. They had to go, it was a seasonal forgiveness, but no more, that's, that's gone, that's, that season is gone. The work has been done. The Bible says the sacrifice is a standing one. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus looks and says, it is finished. What can you add to that? What can you or me do to add to it? Jesus didn't say, hey, I've done 99%. You come and help me with one. Or you jump in and do the rest. Grace is basically looking at us and saying, the 100% is done. Jesus didn't say, man, I, my father in heaven, I've done, I've done all that I could. Now it's up to you, Lord. No, he said, it's done. It's finished. Whatever you've sent me, I have come here to do. You know, oftentimes this is a hard message to understand because sometimes we like to boast about what we have done, but, but, but we can't boast in grace. Man can't boast when we talk about grace because grace is God and only God. It's this gift that keeps getting ignored because it's all about God. And as long as the enemy can win that battle and that fight that repeatedly tells you, hey, you have a role to play in, in the good things that happen in your life. You have a good a, a role to play in the good thing. He's winning. He's winning. Let me close with this real quick. There's four kinds of grace. There's four kinds of grace. There's one is, the first one is saving grace. Someone say saving grace. Ephesians chapter number two, verses eight to nine is this. For it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. For this is, for, let me read that again. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You and I are sitting here today because of grace, church. Because of grace. Because you and I can confidently, confidently look at God and say, God, it was nothing that I did, nothing that I can ever do. We can't stand by ourselves. But for God, you and I need to understand this, church. Grace was God's idea. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verses 17 to 19, this is what the Bible says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 18, it says, and all of this is a gift from God. This gift of salvation, this new life that we live. This wasn't Jesus saying, this was his father's idea. It wasn't Jesus' idea. It wasn't Jesus saying, Father, send me. I, I really want to go. This was the father's idea saying, go. The father loves us, church. You know, and John 3.16 suggests that where he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Grace was God's idea. The saving grace of God. I was, you know, I was talking to this uh, a friend the other day, and, and we were exploring some some ideas that that, that he had. Some it was one of the friends that I was talking about earlier that, that was kind of deconstructing his faith, so on and so forth. And uh, he, he said, "Man, the, the God of the Bible is, is 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 not a true God. Like the, the God of the Old Testament, that God scares me." He was like, I'm cool with, I'm cool with the, 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 the Jesus of the, of, of the New Testament. It, he, he's, he's, he's a cool guy. But the Old Testament God, man, that's a different vibe, is what he said. I don't know what that means. But you're cool with Jesus because he saved you from the mean guy. So his idea of Jesus is this, is this, this idea of this good man with good virtues that came to save mankind from this mean God. The Bible says through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This was God the Father saving humanity. It wasn't Jesus' idea. God the Father. It, it does, it's not the God, the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament. This is God Everywhere. This was God before, today, tomorrow. It is the same unchanging God. He loves us. John 3.16, it tells us that, man. This was God's idea. Jesus didn't come to save you from the Father. He came to save you from sin. His Father. It wasn't this enmity that was to happen. John 17, he reveals that and he says, Father, I've come to reveal your name. Philip Yancey actually says this beautiful line and I want you to listen closely. God will never love you more or love you less than he loves you right now. 
This is something that we have to understand as Christians. So many of us are living our lives trying to please God more and more by every passing day so he loves us more. Am I talking to somebody here? Like, if, if, if you don't understand this one line, and I want to read it one more time, God will never love you more or love you any less than he loves you right now. If you don't understand the love of Jesus and you think that his love increases and decreases for you, you don't understand the love of a father. The love of a father is an unconditional love that doesn't change according to seasons or according to what you do. It's not a, man, if I clean up my life, maybe God will love me. Wrong. He can't love you anymore. That's what, that's what grace is. That's what saving grace is. It's not because of what you've done. It's regardless of what you've done. He gave his son to reconcile the world to himself. He said, man, I gave my only begotten son. It's not a God versus Jesus thing or Jesus the better than the Old Testament God. It was God's idea of saying, man, I want to reconcile back with my own people. The second kind of grace is the justifying grace. I'm going to breeze through this. Being justified freely by grace, we have, being justified freely by grace, we have peace. We didn't earn it. He justifies us. He basically stood in the gap for us. And he said, it's not because of anything you've done. And it's just because of what Jesus did on the cross. The third one is teaching grace. Here's what I want to pause and I want to teach for just a second. Teaching grace, okay? Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and verse 13 says, 2, 2 verse 13 says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Okay, this is, this is good. For the, again, verse 11, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Because the grace of God has brought salvation. I want you to listen to this verse. What, is, what does it say next? We should live in, live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. We should turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That is what grace should prompt us to do. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Till the advent happens one more time, where the arrival of the king will happen, he says, grace is what will carry you. But what should grace do? Grace isn't an excuse to not sin. Come on, am I talking to someone? Because here's the problem with grace. You can either take grace, this, this idea of grace, this theology of grace, and you can skew it, and you can alter it, and you can, you can bend it so bad that it will, it will make it look like, man, all you need is grace. And because you have grace, it gives you license to sin and live whatever life you want to. But, but, but that's not what the Bible is teaching. Grace is connected to holiness. Can I preach this? Grace is connected to holiness. Grace teaches us to deny the world. I'm going to read that verse again. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Now, because you and I are saved through grace, what are we to do? And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should embrace wisdom is what, what it continues to say. Righteousness and devotion to God. 
while we look forward with hope. Grace gives you the ability to be more like Jesus. And then the last one, the fourth grace is enabling grace. I'm going to close with this, worship team, if you want to get ready to come up. Enabling grace. You know, it's the grace that Paul talks about. When he says, man, I had a thorn in my flesh, but his grace is sufficient for me. You remember that verse? That's what this verse is, right? I begged to take it away from me, but, but, but God looked at me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. How many of you know that that's, some of the, that's the grace that you and I experience and live in every single day? Yeah, the saving grace is important. The justifying grace is important. All of that is, that is super, super important. That is, that is great. The teaching grace is great. But the enabling grace is what gives you the ability and me the ability to stand up every single day and say, not by my strength, not by my power. Paul took his thorn to the throne of grace. How many of you have been in situations, man, where you didn't think you were going to come out alive? It could have been in a temptation. It was those, those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a fire, a fury furnace. And they jumped in with the hope and with the faith that the one that called them, that called them is faithful. And it was grace that stood with them in the middle of their fury furnace. I don't know what you're going through today. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, Come boldly before the throne of grace in times of trouble. There are times that's going to test us. There are times that's going to rock our faith. There are times where, you know, our faith is going to be jettisoned and we don't know what to do next. And God looks at us and reminds us day after day, Hey, hold on to this thing called grace. The greatest gift. The greatest gift. that was ever given to man was wrapped in this box that a lot of us never have, have never opened. That so many of us never even bother to open. And I'll tell you why we don't bother to open it because we're way too self-reliant. That's all I'm trying to preach about this morning is the greatest gift is wrapped up in this box that says it's only me. All you need is me. That's the only thing I'm trying to communicate this morning. It's wrapped in this box, and as soon as you open that box, it's this word Jesus, and it's, it's this person of Jesus wrapped in grace, and he looks at you and says, my grace is sufficient for you. That greatest gift is a gift that tells you you don't have to fight this battle on your own. That gift is a gift that tells you you don't have to go through that sickness on your own. That gift is a gift that tells you, man, you don't have to struggle on your own. But yet we don't want that gift because somehow we feel that we got it. We got it under control. Because your paycheck will probably help you get through. Your degree probably is going to help you get another job. Your bank balance is probably going to help you last through a season of drought. Your relationship, that person that, that you have a relationship with, they're probably going to stand by you. Or it could be that substance that you're addicted to. That possibly you're like, man, you know what? This, I'm, I'm good. As long as I have this, I'm okay. 
And all along, we choose to leave that gift unopened. This gift called grace. One of the most important gifts that we talked about peace. We talked about Emmanuel, God with us. Those are the two other things that we talked about. And then we talked about grace last Sunday. And as I introduce this, this, this phrase to you, I want us to open our minds to understanding that grace is this, this, this beautiful thing that God wants us to experience. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his love. It's his mercy. Would you stand up to your feet with me, church? As we approach communion today, I want us to really take, us, take a minute, church. I want you to let this word sink in. I want, you to, I want, you to, I want it to settle in today. If, if you walked in and you didn't get a, a, a cup with you, if you would raise your hand, somebody would be glad to bring one to you. But if you got one, that's great. But if you didn't get one, just slip your hand up and somebody can bring you one. You know, what we're about to do this morning has prof a profound, you know, meaning. There's profound sim symbolism in this, in this institution, in this, in what we call the Lord's table in communion. This bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken to make us whole. And this cup of juice, which represents Christ's blood that was given as a payment for our sins. See, as we understand the teaching of Scripture on the, on the subject of the Lord's Supper, there's nothing magical that happens to these elements. This wafer will remain a wafer. This juice will remain juice. As we pray and as we partake in it, Nothing magical is going to happen. Nothing transformative is going to happen. And yet there's something more going on as we partake in communion today. What's, what's that special thing? It's that whenever we respond to the Lord Jesus in faith, he meets us with grace. It's salvation for the lost. It's courage for the fearful. It's wisdom for the perplexed. It's rest for the weary. It's joy for the brokenhearted. I can go on and on and on as to what this symbolizes and what this means. So as we eat this bread, as we drink of this cup together, we receive grace to meet whatever our truest need is this morning. But let me tell you what Jesus said when he took this cup. He took this cup. He took this bread. He first took the bread. He said, this is my body 
that was broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you come together, do this in remembrance of me. That's what he said. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, it's echoed and it says, for I received from the Lord what I also delighted in you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake of this today, I pray that we will remind ourselves and position ourselves in a place where we will remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Grace. We will just remind ourselves of what grace truly means. We were undeserving. But what we're about to have gave us that ability to enter the Holy of Holies. Gave us a place, gave us a voice, gave us reason to keep going no matter how much the odds are stacked up against us. He gives us reason to keep going, church. And today as we partake of this, let's remember that beautiful sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you, God, because your, your body was bruised, it was broken, it was beaten for my sin, for my transgressions, God, for my, for my, for my, my weaknesses, God, for my body. The word reminds me, God, that by his stripes we are healed. And today, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will be a church, that we will be a body, that we will be a people that always resort to looking to you, Lord, before we look to other answers, before we go to medical science and before we go to that medicine cabinet, God, that we will surrender our lives to you, God, and know and claim victory that has been given to us through the stripes on your body. So today I claim healing on people's lives today, God. As we partake of this, not only are we remembering that great sacrifice, but we're remembering your words that by your stripes we are healed. I declare freedom, I declare healing to every person in this room that is praying for healing. People that are going through different things in Jesus' name, I pray for healing right now. On your body, I pray for healing. I declare healing in the name of Jesus. There's nothing impossible for our God. There's nothing impossible for our God. And today, whatever you're praying for, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you will walk in freedom, that you will walk in healing. Thank you, God. We give you praise. We want to give you glory. We want to give you honor. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. Thank you for this bread that we're about to partake in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you break this bread and can we eat it together? In the same way he took the cup, verse 25 and 26, after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we partake of this, remember that great sacrifice on the cross of Calvary where he gave up his life. He offered up his life for you and for me. For so many of us sitting over here, this message might have been simple. It might have been basics, going back to Sunday school. But sometimes as a pastor, I just need to stand up and I just need to remind us of what that sacrifice on the cross truly, truly meant. And church, I want to remind us today that this blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary was shed for your sin, for my sin, for your transgressions, for my transgressions. We, didn't, we don't have to be bringing up oxen and pigeons and doves and bulls to the altar anymore. This morning, I, I want us to know that that we can approach this, this, this table and we can say, Lord, with confidence and with boldness and say, Lord, thank you because I have a place with you. So many people are scared to take communion today. There's so many people that will, won't, they, they refuse to. And it hurts me. It hurts me so much that so many people are scared to take communion because of probably some theology that was taught to them where they said they need to examine themselves because the Bible says examine yourselves. Yes, the Bible does say that. But it doesn't say it in a way that it condemns you. Because it's beautiful. Bible scholars will tell you this. If what the Bible means when it says examine yourselves, it's not, it doesn't say you who is without sin take communion. That's not what the Bible says because if that's the case, not one, I can't be taking this today. The Bible says if, if anyone stands here and claims that you're not a sinner, you're a liar. We're all sinners. But when, when the Bible says examine yourselves, it says look deep within. Remind yourselves that even though you are not worthy, he made you worthy. He qualified the most unqualified. And today you and I have a place with him because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As we partake of this, let's remember that, that sacrifice on the cross. Father, we thank you for, this, for this, 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 this juice, God, and what it symbolizes. It symbolizes your blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. And as we partake of this, I pray, God, that it will remind us of that beautiful sacrifice, that beautiful sacrifice on the cross of Calvary where you gave it up for my sins, for the sins of mankind. Thank you, God, because you did it. No one would ever have to do it ever again. And we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of this beautiful sacrifice. We give you praise, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we partake of this? Church, like we do every Sunday, we're just gonna spend a few moments in prayer. We're a church that believes in prayer. And as the worship team just leads us in a few moments of worship, we're go I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray out in just a few moments. But I ask that you just stay in your places and if you need to just worship where you are, you worship where you are. 
But I'm going to have some prayer teams available here to pray with people. If you need to pray with somebody, it could be a physical issue that you're praying about. It could be a personal issue. It could be a marriage issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be a relational. It doesn't matter. There are people waiting to pray with you. Don't do it alone. Don't struggle alone. Share with somebody what you're going through. Let them pray with you. If you want to just stand there and pray, that's fine too. Worship team, would you lead us in a, in a time of worship? Let's worship together, church. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.